Isaiah chapter 66 for an opening text of Scripture. And let's take a few minutes and consider God's precious Word and what it has to say to us about our work habits. We recently studied the book of Ecclesiastes. It had things to say on the subject. We recently studied things that become sound doctrine. That had things to deal with how we work. But we want to look in the Bible and encourage all of us and teach all of our children especially what kind of employees they ought to be because we live in difficult economic times and they could get much worse. They could get much worse. And those that have a Christian work ethic will survive the longest. And those who don't will not. We're going to trust the Lord, but we cannot tempt the Lord by not putting into practice what He's plainly told us. In Isaiah 66 and verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. These two verses I'm using to introduce us to this subject in this way. God is with the man who is of a poor spirit, does not think too highly of himself, is of a contrite and broken heart for his sins, and trembles at the word of God. That what God says on this subject, it doesn't matter what your parents taught you, what your parents did, what you did, what somebody you think is successful has done, what does the Bible have to say about work habits? Trembles at God's word. Some of the points are made for those who work jobs, but it applies as well to students. It applies to a housewife at home with her husband. Some of these aspects of how we work. So do not daydream. I'm preaching to you from God's Word just because you may not have a job. You can still put these principles into practice. The Bible is full of wisdom about how to live a godly life, and it includes our jobs, which are the largest single item that we have during our waking hours. That we, our lives are spent and the Lord has not forsaken us on this subject matter. Both testaments, the Lord deals with it and He deals with it plainly and forcefully. And it's very important to Him how we function on the job. Bible Christianity is not a monastic or a convent idea of sitting around thumbing beads and talking about Jesus all day. That is not a Christian. Never has been. Jesus didn't do it. The apostles didn't do it. And the Christians in the early churches didn't do it. And they didn't do it in the Old Testament. They went to work. The Apostle Paul sewed tents because he had a transferable skill that no matter what city he was in, he could raise money to support himself for whatever reason he felt that he needed to raise money by sewing tents. He was of a profession of tent makers. And they that were like him, Aquila and Priscilla, would sew tents together with him. So I want to make clear, while we love the pardoning grace of God and that God abundantly pardons and the theological truth that we learn in the Bible... There's also practical truth that we have to humble ourselves before that gets right down to how we work on the job with other ugly people that are sinners that make it difficult to work sometimes. But the Bible deals with all that. And so look at what we've covered today. We have an inauguration on Tuesday we're going to deal with scripturally. We have people who offend us and we are going to deal with it scripturally. And we go to work tomorrow and we're... For those of you that don't have that holiday... And we're going to deal with it scripturally. 
Okay, let's start with 1 Timothy 5.8. The Bible's full of references to taking care of, of people and working hard and making money, saving money, and dealing with that part of our lives. It is not a sinful part of our life just because it's not talking about Jesus. The way we honor Jesus is to keep His commandments when we go to work. That's how we honor Him. We don't go to work and talk about Jesus. If you go to work and talk about Jesus, I hope you get fired. Because you're sinning by doing so. And I'll get to that. You do not talk about Jesus on the job. If somebody pulls you aside off the clock and wants to ask you in the parking lot about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, give them a load. Give them a load. Bring them to church. But don't talk about Jesus on the job. That's sinning. That's stealing from your employer. That's blaspheming the name of Christ. And that's a disgrace to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have an opportunity to say one sentence to the glory of God or to thank God for something, then go ahead and do it. But don't you use up the clock trying to press your religion on pagans that work around you. That's not what God's called us to do. I want to stress the importance of us realizing that the Bible deals with our whole life. And a big chunk of it, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, is spent on working. And the Bible tells us how to do it. The first point I want to make, and I've got so many points, and we're not going to cover them today. So rest at ease. But we're going to cover a few of them. Christians work sufficiently. The first point, Christians work sufficiently. That means you do what it takes to get the job done to meet God's financial goals for you. And there are financial goals that are part of your sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where your, thank, your sanctification is under consideration, how are you holy? You abstain from fornication, you learn how to love the brethren, and you study to be quiet and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, so that you may have lack of nothing. Right. The Lord wants you to have enough stuff to survive. That's part of being a holy Christian. And how do you get there? By working sufficiently. You do what it takes. If it takes a second job, then you do it. If it takes moving in with your parents after you moved out, then you do it. There is nothing wrong with either one of those things. A Christian does what is necessary because look at what 1 Timothy 5.8 says. If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The infidels understand that they will do whatever is necessary in order to provide for their own families. And if we as Christians don't do it, then we've denied the faith of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ's religion is, we work as hard as we have to in order to provide our way in the world. We are not moochers. We don't live off a social dole from a government. Even if the government wants to give it, we go to work. And if we don't do that, if we don't provide for our own, then we're, we've denied the faith of Jesus Christ. We've denied Jesus Christ's religion. We are not living like Christians. Therefore, Christians work sufficiently. They do whatever is necessary. And it may get more difficult to do that. It may get harder. I am not a doomsdayer. You all know that. But I do want to warn you. It could get ugly. Half of this church could be unemployed. Very easily. We will do whatever it takes. And you better already be committed to that, and our children better learn that. 
Christians do whatever it takes. If it takes two jobs, you know our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they understood that and never even crossed their minds not to do it. It was a totally different generation. We're a bunch of panty-wasted, effeminate, lazy, MTV, cartoon-watching, playing generation that doesn't even know anything about hard work. You know, we had people come to this country that didn't even speak the English language. They had $5 bill in their pocket if they were well off. And they got in line. They took an oath of citizenship. They got in the street. And they survived. They worked one job, two jobs, three jobs. If it was the pioneer days that happened before the immigrants to New York City, they would get themselves a little chunk of land. They'd clear that land. They'd raise enough to survive on. They'd get themselves an ox according to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 4. They'd get themselves the means of income. And they'd survive, succeed, and grow rich. We've never even thought of doing anything like that. Are you kidding me? You're going to struggle out of bed tomorrow to go to your air-conditioned. I'll bet your chair costs more at work than it does at home. And you're going to sit... Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, we're so, we're, we're so spoiled. But I'm telling you, this nation has lived above its means for a long time. And our government is following policies right now. And our government has sins and sins that it protects that are high offense against the God of heaven. And we could be in for a lot of trouble and a lot of pain. And we want our young men and our young women, we want everyone in here to understand that we're going to work sufficiently. Whatever it takes is what we do. There's 168 hours in a week, and you don't need to sleep more than six of them a night. And that leaves a whole lot of them. You say, well, I just can't get by without ten. Well, then you've got a serious problem. And it's Proverbs 20 and verse 4. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. You know, if you're sleeping eight hours a night right now, thank the Lord that you're able to sleep eight hours and get your work done. There may be a time where you don't get to sleep as much. There may be a time where you have to go from one job to another job to make ends meet. Christians will do whatever is necessary. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a verse that I've just quoted to you, but now we'll turn to it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There was a problem in the church at Thessalonica. In that the church, there were a number of church members that were lazy and wandered about from house to house. And so the Apostle Paul had to deal with that error in that church in both epistles. You're, we're going to get it right here in the first epistle. In the second epistle, it says, wait a minute, Thessalonians. Didn't you see the example I gave you? I preached all day. I worked all night. I worked day and night to give you an example of how you ought to follow me and to work. Because if a man does not work, neither should he eat. That's where all that comes together. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And if you go look at that section of about six verses, there's a verse on the front end of it, there's a verse on the back end of it about church exclusion. The verses that we quote so often from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and if any brother walketh, withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition that he received of us. Do you know what we're talking about? Not working hard enough. That's how serious it is in the Word of God. Now, these busybodies were floating around from house to house. I believe they thought the Lord was coming and they weren't working hard. Now, see, they were so spiritually minded, they were waiting for Jesus to come. That's why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul would write and say, Be not upset in your minds that the coming of Christ is at hand, because it's not at hand. There's two events that have to take place first. The falling away and the man of sin being revealed. And so the Apostle Paul sets these people who are trying to be holier than the Bible back on the right course, and they better be working. And if not, throw them out of the church. 
Because the religion of Jesus Christ requires hard work. First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is part of our sanctification of being holy Christians. Verse 11, that ye study to be quiet, not wandering about from house to house, getting involved in other people's business. And to do your own business, see, and getting, instead of getting involved in theirs, you can find out more about this by reading Second Thessalonians. I'm just saving us time. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So this is in the first epistle, and Paul's saying, we commanded you this. So notice, he obviously taught them this when he was there in person. Now he's backing it up in writing, and he's going to do it again in the second epistle. Why should you, why is work so important, Paul? Verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Two things, my Thessalonian brethren. We want to have a good reputation before the world that we are hardworking Christians, not lazy, good-for-nothing sponges. Two, so that you have everything that you need. You have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and food in the refrigerator, because those are things you need. You don't have to go get them from others. That ye may have lack of nothing. And you know how, do you know how you get stuff? you got to go to work for it. I wish stuff grew on trees. I wish money grew on trees. You know, I used to hear that when I would ask for a new ball glove. You know, what do you think? Money grows on trees? And that, you know, that's a good answer. You know, go earn it. You know who was telling me that? Dad, we made things last a lot longer than my sons have. <laughs> Each generation has gotten more frivolous and spoiled with things. Jeff, you still got your sled from when you were 10 up in the attic? I, I knew. In perfect condition, right? I, don't, don't, I know it is. But you know, this generation gets everything handed to it. It's all disposable. Throw it away. Don't take care of it because we have so much we can go replace it. Go replace it. Go replace it. Go replace it. There may be a time coming very soon that we can't go replace it. Right. I'm, I'm not trying to scare anyone. It's just to scare you enough to want to humble yourself before God's Word and pay attention to it so that I don't have to bring it up when you're unemployed. It's better to do it now. Right. That's how you get stuff. You go to work. There's two reasons God wants us to work hard. He wants us to study, to learn how to be quiet and to do our own business. He wants us to get a transferable skill. He wants you to go to school. He wants you to learn a profession so that you can sit by yourself and earn a living for you and your family. He wants that, in verse 11, for two reasons. A good reputation for the gospel before the world. And second, so that you have enough stuff. Ephesians chapter 4. We're not in love with money. We're not in love with riches. We just want enough to survive. We want bread convenient for us. We want enough in the refrigerator that we can sit down, have our peanut butter crackers and a cheap bottle of wine, and love the Lord and wait for His coming. We're not seeking to be rich. That isn't our goal. But the Lord wants us to work hard. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Go to work. Get up in the morning and go to work. Let him labor. Working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let, it, let him work with his hands the thing which is good. That means a good profession, a righteous profession. That's, all, that's what that means. It's, it's contrasting a thief with doing something noble and right and virtuous. You know, I've, I've heard the expression of the being a thief is using a five-finger discount. But that's, you know, that's bad use of your hands. Taking something that doesn't belong to you, the Lord wants you to use your hands to work something that is good. Now here's the third reason. Oh, and I like this reason. Third reason. So that you can have to give to those that need. Now, 
We want to protect the reputation of the gospel. We want to have enough stuff for ourselves so that we don't have to be bumming, borrowing, or stealing from others. And we want to have enough extra that we can give to those in need. The, The Bible tells us this. This is God's welfare plan. But the only ones that get welfare are those who are legitimately under the under acts of God and cannot provide their own way. More on that. There's going to be a lot more on that. We're not going to have any doubts about this matter. We've never have had doubts in the past, but I'll make sure that they're all clarified because there's probably a time coming where we're going to be confused about these things, but we're not going to be confused. So, there's three reasons right there. So, Christians work sufficiently. What that means is, Christians work hard enough to do those three things. To keep the reputation of our religion pure, to have enough stuff to survive, and to have some extra stuff to be able to give to those that are under acts of God that need help. And for those of you that have a great job and love to work hard and believe all these things already, and you're saying to yourself, I don't need this. Why is he preaching this again? I'm preaching it for your children. I'm preaching it for your grandchildren. I'm preaching it for everyone else on your pew except you, O noble man. And I'm preaching it for you to go to work tomorrow with that third goal in mind. That you're going to really churn and burn tomorrow so that you'll have a little extra extra to give to the rest of us when we're under the an act of God in our lives. Right. The, the Bible's wonderful. Amen. This is what it says. These aren't these verses aren't difficult to understand. So Christians work sufficiently. They do whatever is necessary. And a time may come where two jobs is necessary. You may have to take someone else into your house or move to another house. When the Bible says a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, that doesn't mean they have to get a new address. That means they have a new unity of one that he has separated from his two parents. It's not mommy, daddy, and baby. It's young man and his wife. They could live in the basement. They could live in the attic. They could live in the garage. They could live in the car. But it could be at the same address. We don't know what's going to happen. You know the idea of all of us having a thousand square feet per person? Where'd that come from? That came from excess. That came from having a central bank called the Federal Reserve Bank that's flooded our economy for the last hundred years with too much money. All these massive houses that everybody lives in. Listen, we could pack. Hey, I'll take a couple families. But it better happen before March 1st because by March 1st, if God will be merciful, or April 1st, I won't have the house I'm in. Who needs that thing? Everybody got up and married and left me and Sherry. So we're all alone. So who in the world needs that house? Unless some of them want to hurry up and come home. And I've told them if they come home, Mommy, you'll do the laundry again. The reason I'm saying all this, Christians work sufficiently. And young men, when you're full of energy, you can easily handle two jobs. You already have two. One is going to work, and one is going to play. (laughs) See, you've already got an 80-hour week built in. I know you young men. What makes an orange basketball turn brown? Because you put 40 hours a week in it somewhere, bouncing it, and an orange ball turns brown. Why do you have to have pool tables relined? Oh, there's plenty of time. Young men, we work sufficiently. We go get a job, and we do it, and we do it well. Let's go on to another point. We do it passionately. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Work is fun. If your heart's in the right place. 
and you know that God's given you the job and God's called you to do it, then go do your best. If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing with zeal. So we work passionately. When you go to school, do it passionately. Go for the best grades you can within the amount of time you have to study. Do it with passion. Oh, I want to show you this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Colossians 3, 23. Did I give you the verse? And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord. I mean, from our heart, full of enthusiasm, zeal, passion, desire. Now, somebody, we often quote this verse. Have you ever heard this verse before? And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You know, this isn't singing in the choir. This isn't passing out tracts. Do you know what context this verse is in? Servants to masters. Look at verse 23. Let's, let's go verse forward. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the... Oh, it's talking about getting a reward for ye serve the Lord Christ. Let's go back a verse. 22. Oh, servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Forget spiritual considerations for a moment. You have to go to work tomorrow to somebody in the flesh. He's a body and he's over you. Do you know what we used to say when we'd hire ten people? we got to hire ten bodies. See, we understood Colossians 3.22. Because you don't hire their spirits, you hire their bodies. You don't hire their spirits in a spiritual sense is what I mean. You want their spirits too. But you hire bodies. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Our goal isn't just to please men. But in singleness of heart, fearing God, we have one motive. We want to please God. So tomorrow, at world acceptance, tomorrow, wherever you go, Tuesday, wherever you go, do it with zeal. Do it from the heart. Do it heartily. As to the Lord. Christians work passionately. Do you love your job? I hate it. Get over it. God gave... Just wait. I'm going to remind you of that statement when you don't have one. God took it away because you hated it. Love your job. Be thankful for it. And go do your best at it. And do it passionately. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. Oh Lord, help us to humble ourselves before Your Word. To believe these things and to put them into practice. Young men... Success is a piece of fruit hanging on a tree. And I'm going to give you about a 40-rung ladder to to help you climb up that tree and pick the fruit. And we're on rung two right now. First thing is you do whatever is necessary to succeed. Christians work sufficiently for the task of getting ahead and meeting God's goals. You better have some extra. You know, I I commend the Mormons. For the fact that every single Mormon family has one year in cash and other necessary supplies to live without a job. Every single Mormon family. Or you have violated the principles of Mormonism. And if you don't have one year to live on, you're not a prudent man. You have wasted your income. Therefore, we've got to ask God to forgive us for the past. And we've got to make sure that we're putting aside some that we're earning in the present so that we have some backup. The Bible tells us that. Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 30 tells us to go to the ant on two occasions because the ant knows how to save for the cold of winter. Oh, winter is actually in hibernation, but he, 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 he takes food and stores it in the summer and lays it up himself in the fall and spring before there is food. But now they work passionately. Look at Galatians 4. 
16. This is just a general proposition here. It's not in a context of employment. But it says in Galatians 4.18, It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Paul is, Paul is discussing zeal because there were some men that were zealous to overthrow the faith of the Galatians. But here he's making a general proposition in verse 18. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And going to work is a good thing and to be zealously affected about it. Are you worked up? Love your job. Thank you, Publix, for coming to Greenville. They didn't, weren't here. You know, and a couple others went bye-bye because they did come. Because they were a better grocery store. Although you have to pay more. And we don't shop there. Um, But you know what I mean. I hope you do. Forgive me. Be merciful. Pardon me. Oh, do you know what? When we think about the word pardon, do you know how we define it in our own language? When we say to someone, pardon me, what do we mean? I've just done something stupid and offensive. Will you overlook it and forgive me? Right. right. It, that explains the word pardon for you, isn't it? When we say pardon me, will you forgive and overlook and let me off the hook for something stupid I just said or did? Pardon me. You know, when you sneeze all over someone, pardon me. We, we explain the word in our common use of the word. Galatians 4, this is how we work. Christians work passionately. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing with your might. Where does it say that? What book of the Bible? Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, the good thing with your hands, from Ephesians chapter 4, do it with your might. Work passionately. Christians work conventionally. Third point, third rung on a ladder to reach the piece of fruit called success. Christians work conventionally. And I'm not following anyone's outline except the Lord's outline and how He leads me and taking the verses of Scripture and putting them together in some organized format for you. But Christians work conventionally and I've seen people err on the. We're not going to err on not working sufficiently. If you need a second job, you're going to get a second job. We're not going to help you until you get a second job. It's got to be that way. Because Christians do whatever is necessary. Paul had a second job to do what was necessary. Or I'll have the second job. You know, we're going to do whatever is necessary. Because Christians work sufficiently. Then we're going to work passionately from the heart as to the Lord, not to men. With a singleness of heart, one motive, the Lord, not men. If your boss is happy with you, big deal. Do you know who really counts? Is the Lord happy with you? Because he's the one that's got the real paycheck. Do you know what it's called? The reward of the inheritance. That's what the passage said. He's got the real paycheck. Who cares about a few U.S. dollars? Listen, the way they're printing them right now, they're worth less and less. So be thank- the Lord's inheritance isn't. Amen. There's no inflation in heaven. That's right. Because it's all made of gold and silver. Article 1, Section 10. Anyway, I know you probably didn't appreciate that. Christians work conventionally. An independent spirit that wants to be different. An independent spirit that wants to be different. Or an ignorant spirit that doesn't know that it's different. Both are going to cause you to fail. In Romans chapter 17, it says, When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Rome, Romans doesn't have 17 chapters. 
So it says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul learned how to adapt himself as necessary, and I want to give you some Bible examples of it. But if you fight convention, it's going to be your ruin. If you think that you are a, you have good ideas on facial hair, you better measure your facial hair by the facial hair that everyone else in your company wears that is important and successful. Because they are the ones that dictate how you ought to wear your facial hair. Your ideas on facial hair are they going to be the ruin of your soul if it doesn't match ruin of your life financially and professionally and career-wise if you don't measure up with the convention at the company you work for. This isn't compromise. This is wisdom. This is discretion. This is prudence. There isn't anything moral involved. These are matters of liberty. You should be able to flush your personal desires in order to look the part of what your employer wants you to look. Convention. Naaman. Naaman's job required him to go back, link arms up with the king of Syria, and go into the house of Rimmon and worship. He wasn't worshiping, that, but his king was worshiping. And so there's poor Naaman. He loved the Lord God of Israel because he had skin like a baby's behind. After dipping seven times in the Jordan River, and he came to the prophet Elisha, and he said, Elisha, i got a problem. There's only one God. It's the God of Elisha. But I've got to go back, link up arms, and go into the house of Rimmon when my king... Bows down, you know, I end up in a compromising position. There's that stupid idol. What should I do? What did Elisha say? This is, this is so wisdom. Oh, there's so much wisdom. What do you pay for this kind of wisdom from the Bible? Go in peace. The Lord doesn't care. He knew that Naaman wasn't in there worshiping Rimmon. He knew that Naaman was in there doing his job. And that's what we should think about. We, don't you try to hold some line and call it principle. It's not principle. It's pride. It's not principle. It's stupidity. See, Naaman didn't go back and shoot his master. Naaman didn't go back and say, I ain't going in there with you. Do you know what God told him? Go in peace. That was a job he had to do. What if he hired an electrician to go wire the house of Rimmon? If you had, a, if you had the house of Rimmon call you and say, well, you come and wire. Wire our altar. You going to bid the job? Bid it high, but bid the job. And if you're hungry, bid it low. This is wisdom the Bible gives us. If you're working at Walmart and they tell you to go put the Christmas tree up front as just one of your duties, go put the Christmas tree up front. If they say, hey, I heard that you're a Christian, you don't celebrate Christmas, go put that Christmas tree up front. Then you can say, no way. Do you know how we know that difference? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If an unbeliever bids you to a feast and you're disposed to go, go. Go to a block party of unbelievers that are eating a bunch of meat that's just been offered to an idol. But if while you're chowing down on your big piece of ribeye, a person at that block party says that piece of meat was offered in sacrifice to Bell the dragon, and you claim to be a Christian, what are you eating it for? You push that plate away and walk away. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 teaches. That is the wisdom of God's we be as conventional as we can be until they force an issue then it becomes an issue of morality and scripture but we, we get along as far as we can Daniel was provided convention by God when Daniel was in a fast track MBA program in, a, in, in Babylon he asked for a change in his diet so that he wouldn't offend and violate his God and so they gave him the change in diet then they examined him after ten days because Daniel knew he had to have a certain appearance. Right. Worrying about appearance is not ungodly. 
Daniel worried about appearance. He said, give me ten days and see if the Lord doesn't take care of my appearance. And so they lined up, Daniel and his three buddies, along with all the others. And they were fatter and fuller and fresher than the others. Because God took care of it even though they were eating junk. Bean soup and water is junk. The whole point of the miracle in Daniel chapter 1 is because they weren't eating anything that would make you fat and healthy. But God made them fat and healthy. Because the appearance was important because they were going to stand before the king. You can't have some gaunt-looking, graying 25-year-old standing before the king. You need to look like you're healthy and robust. It's in the Word of God. How many more do you want? Ruth. Did Ruth follow Naomi's convention? Naomi's convention was, Ruth, we need to get you a husband. Now, I know a man. He's very eligible. He's going to be down at the threshing floor tonight. I want you to go in there and take a good bath. You need it. And I want you to get a pretty dress on and get some perfume on and go down and lie at his feet. All these instructions. You know what Ruth said? Everything that you have said, I will do. Ruth 3, 5. She submitted to convention. Do you know what a lot of these unconventional types would say? Well, if he don't like me just the way I am, I'm not going to change for him. Well, that's not very smart. You're going to die single. The, the Lord gave Naomi wisdom and Ruth submitted to the convention of, you know, hmm, we got a good smelling woman in here. You know, at my feet. She's in a nice dress. Whatever he could see in the dark. How about another one? Esther. Right. Esther is taken in to the, the premarital harem of the King Ahasuerus of the Persian Empire. And she immediately falls in favor with the eunuch there that was in charge of all those women. And you know, for 12 months, the king was going to make them the softest women that have ever walked this earth. I mean, for six months, you had to take a bath in certain kinds of oil. I mean, I'm, oh, listen, when you got the bucks, you can take pretty decent baths. And so there's six months of oils and then six months of perfume. By that time, a woman should smell good. Twelve months. But you know what? When it, and each night the king would ask for a different woman because it was a beauty contest, winner take all. Whoever wins is the queen of Persia. Every night the, the eunuch would come in and get another woman and take it to the king Ahasuerus. When it came time for Esther, I want, I want you to think, we're, we're building a point here. Christians work conventionally. She didn't bring up anything that she had been taught or that she had bought or that she thought was pretty. She said, whatever you think is what I will do. The eunuch that was in charge of her picked everything that she wore that night and what she took in to see the King Ahasuerus. She won the beauty contest, and she saved her whole people, and she has a book of the Bible written after her. We love the story of Esther. Christians work conventionally. Joseph, when he worked, I'm giving you examples. Joseph, when he worked for Pharaoh, did he protect Pharaoh? Would the people have overthrown Pharaoh if they hadn't been fed? Did Joseph get all the money of all the people into Pharaoh's coffers for all the corn? Yes. Did Pharaoh give a tax exemption to the priests of Pharaoh's pagan religion? Yes. Because Christians work conventionally. If you're working for the government, then you go through and follow your duties until you personally are being compromised in that religion. Did Joseph bow down and worship those gods? No. Did he protect the priests of Pharaoh because he was an employee of Pharaoh and should honor Pharaoh his boss and protect the priests of his boss religion? 
Yes. And he did that. And he married Pharaoh's daughters, the priest of An's daughter. And two of the tribes of Israel came from that union. Okay, all of that was to establish a Bible basis for Christians work conventionally. That means your hair, your hair length, your hair style better fit with where you work. Because you better have a job so that you can provide for your own, so that you have enough stuff, so that you honor the religion of Jesus Christ, and so that you have some extra for others in need. To do that, you need to be conventional. You need to wear the clothes that your particular job looks for. And so you look around in your place of employment, and if there's 50 people that work for your employer, you don't look for the one that's the poorest dressed. You look for the one that's the best dressed, most successful, most well-liked, and you pattern your clothing after him. I'm very thankful in the early days of my days at Michigan National Bank in Detroit, I was able to hear some things and be told some things I didn't learn in my first three years at Ann Arbor Bank and Trust. And that is a little Hindu boss that I had, and I'd say little because he was only five foot tall. He gave me a book called Dress for Success. And it was a very popular book, and I'm so thankful for that book. You know, he made me get rid of cowboy boots, other boots, polyesters. Oh, sweet polyesters. The good old days. You know, polyesters, bell bottoms. Uh, Now, I'm going to ridicule myself so that you can take the heat that I'm going to bring to bear. I'm thankful for Dinesh Bhatt, who gave me that. And so, Sherry and I did not really have the extra money, because we had a growing family, and the paycheck wasn't growing as fast as the family. But we, did, we went to a store. And, you know, out wingtips. Show me some wingtips. Oh, you've got to be kidding. Does anybody under 70 wear these things? You know, I'm thinking to myself, does anybody under 70 wear these shoes? So you buy a pair of wingtips, and you buy some Ivy League ties. An Ivy League tie is a special tie with dots in it. It's for business. It's just, it's got a name. You know, I didn't know that had a name. I just, tie was a tie. You know, you tie a rag around my neck. But all of it matters. Does it matter, young man? You know, when Eric went to the management development program, BB&T had ideas for all those managers on how they ought to dress. Wait. Convention says that when you walk in for an interview and you're grossly overweight, that you are a slow person, lazy, and not self-disciplined. It's just the way it is. And it's generally true. So, when you go for an interview, you better be looking lean and mean. Witnessing on the job. That's not conventional. We don't talk about our religion at work. The Lord doesn't ask us to talk about our religion at work. Show me the verse. Show me. Show me the verse. Do you think Daniel was yapping about his religion all the time at work? Daniel served the king. There was not one minute that could be found on his time card that was not used in serving the king because when his enemies went and dug into everything there was to know about Daniel, they found him to be of an excellent spirit and there was no fault found in him at all. And listen, if he had wasted one minute of the king's payroll talking about his religion... But when he went home, when he was off the king's payroll, he would open up his windows that faced Jerusalem and he would get down on his knees. He would fulfill Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 by when, if your people will face Jerusalem and pray, you will heal their land. And God healed the land of Israel because of Daniel's praying. Amen. Your weight, witnessing on the job, your clothing, your hair, your hairstyle, shoes, colors of ties, colors of shirts. 
Listen, until just a few years ago, you, had, you couldn't work for IBM without a white shirt. Some of you guys that work for IBM, when I see you in a colored shirt, it's just like, what? What's happened? Had to wear a white shirt. You know, white shirt is approved business attire always. You look at our president, that's how you ought to dress. Our president dresses successfully. He's called the first man, the first lady of our kingdom for a reason. They dress right. Christians work conventionally. When you think about it, the Apostle Paul knew how to become all things to all men, that he might by all means save some. We see Esther adjusting to the demands of a Persian eunuch who knew more about the king's taste than she ever would. Do you know how many women think, well, I know how to dress. Don't tell me how to dress. She said, whatever, lay it out, whatever. And she won. Don't listen to yourself. It doesn't matter what your parents wore. It doesn't matter what you've worn all your life. You want to be conventional. Wearing your hair, the whole, all the works, everything that you can think about that will make you more conventional to fit in with your company to where your boss and your company is pleased with you presenting their image because you are the image of their company. They can't have you meeting the public, not looking the best. And so when you go in for an interview, it is so hard to tell a person, you know, you look like a slob. So what they do is they sit there for an hour and ask a few questions. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where did you work before this? Why do you want to work for our company? Bye-bye. We'll get in touch with you. And as soon as you walk out of the door, they pick up the phone. Look, at, look what's walking past you right now on your way down to the parking lot. Look what's walking past you. They aren't going to tell you. I'm telling you. I'm doing, I'm doing their dirty work, too. That's, that's the truth. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll close with this. It's my fourth point. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Christians work conscientiously. They have a conscience about their job. You know, First, first Peter chapter 2 actually tells us that, that we will put up with being abused on a job out of conscience toward God. Right. But I want to talk about a little different aspect of conscientiousness, and that's having an owner's mentality. Most of American workers, and, and it's, a, it's a sorry shame that many Christian American workers go in and punch. The, the thing that they're working hardest for is to get up, get the sleep out of their eyes, and stagger into work to punch that time clock. Oh, because now I'm working. You know, they've punched in. And then the last thing they want to do, I mean, they'll stand and talk for the last half hour of the day around the time clock, but not until they're ready to dash for the car do they punch it because they want every minute they can get. That is not working conscientiously. I am sorry that our nation pays by the hour. It ought to pay by the piece. It ought to pay by the profits. It ought to give you a percentage of what the owners make. Then it would be fair. Then you wouldn't get paid for standing around. You wouldn't get paid for crawling in in the morning. Because unless you were productive, you wouldn't get paid. But right now, Christians ought to work conscientiously. And one way to state it is work with an owner's mentality. Are you thinking about the company and how the company makes money off of you? Because if they're not making money off of you, you are expendable and you will be expensed. Second Thessalonians 3, look at Paul giving us an example, and I've referred to these verses. Second Thessalonians 3, 7. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. Paul is now far away, and he's writing them a letter. And he's saying, you remember when I was there, I lived in a certain way, so that you understand what I'm talking about. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. 
Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, or not, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Conscientiousness. The Apostle Paul realized there's a problem at Thessalonica, work day and night, labor and travail, to give them an example. He was conscientious about working habits. And we want to be conscientious when we go to work, and the best way is to think with an owner's mentality. These little people that punch time cards, they never think about the own. All they think about is, I'm getting paid for time, so once I've punched in, I've done my biggest task of the day. When the biggest task of the day should be, what can I do to make this company money? And why sit around here on this one-hour lunch break? I scarf my food down in ten minutes. What can I go do for the company? Right. You mean off the pay, off the time clock? Why not? What else are you going to do? Come on! Don't you get tired and sleepy if you sit around for another fifty minutes? Amen. Be conscientious. Go to work for your. I'll tell you what. You'll be taken care of. Because right. the Bible tells me that too many times. Look at Proverbs 27 and verse 18. Here's what happens to a conscientious employee. Conscientious. Do you know how many times conscientious employees call in sick? The day they die, they have their wife call in. I had a father-in-law that came from the coal mining country of Virginia who was known in the community, and I honor my wife this way, and him. And he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've met him. He had 50 bucks and a borrowed car that he drove to Michigan to get work in one of those auto plants. And he worked three jobs until he got into an auto plant. But for the 30 years he worked for Chrysler Corporation, you number his missed days on one hand. If there was two feet of snow, he was on a snowmobile and he made it to work even though no one else showed up at a 1,500 employee plant on Z Road. Everyone knew it about him. Now, that's a different kind of generation. You know, the wicked in our generation say they were nuts. Man, at the first snowflake, I'm calling in sick because it's a snow day. But, you know, he was there. That's conscientious. That I'm going to be there for my master. Just an example. That's all I'm giving it for. How conscientious are you? Christians work a certain way so that they keep their jobs. Joseph kept his job pretty well for Potiphar, didn't he? Potiphar, as soon as he figured out what kind of character Joseph had, put everything in his hands. And the Bible tells us Potiphar didn't even know what he owned except that he had food on his plate every night. He put it all in Joseph's hands because he totally trusts Joseph. Then Joseph ends up in prison. The prison keeper put everything in Joseph's hands because he knew the prison would be taken care of. Then Joseph is before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, everything's in your hands. Unless I'm sitting in that throne, you're the man. Because if everything's in your hands, this nation is going to prosper. Do you know where all that came from? Character. Do you know what character trait we're talking about right now? Conscientiousness. To think on behalf of the owner. Potiphar knew that Joseph's thoughts were to make him, Potiphar, rich. The the jailkeeper knew that Joseph's thoughts were to keep any trouble from happening that would be a reflection against the prison keeper. Pharaoh knew that if... Joseph's in charge. We've never met a man with a spirit like this. It says so in Genesis 39 through 42. He'll take care of everything because he was conscientious. Daniel was conscientious. And we want to be conscientious on the job. 
An owner's mentality. An owner only gets paid. Do you know that an owner does not get to go into a business and punch a time card? An owner doesn't get to punch a time card. He only gets paid if all the lazy people who are punching time cards happen to work hard enough for there to be a little bit left over for him to have. That's the benefit of being an owner. No wonder the Lord let them use capital, I mean, corporal, uh, corporal and capital punishment in the Bible for lazy servants. Conscientiousness. Have an owner's mentality. Is this place making money by what I'm doing? Can I do it faster? Can I do it better? Can I do it longer? Can I give them a few minutes off my lunch break? Proverbs chapter 27. This is a verse that I want you to learn to love. Young men especially. Oh, this is, remember I said the rungs of a ladder up to a piece of fruit? Well, this is it. It's a fig. Proverbs 27 and verse 18. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 27, 18. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Right. If you take care of your master, not take care of you, punching in is taking care of you. That doesn't help the master a bit. It starts to hurt the master the minute you hear cha-ching, clink. It starts to hurt the master. So it's how productive you are after you do that and all the way up to until you do it again and you walk out. That's honoring your master. That's helping your master. And look at the text. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. You're going to get a piece of the action. So he that waiteth in his master shall be honored. You take care of your master, that master will honor you with some of the fruits of that business. This is working conscientiously. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it would say, Servants, obey in all things your masters. Not answering again. Not purloining. Purloining. We don't use it often. It means pilfering. We don't use that often. What does purloining and pilfering mean? It means small thefts, petty thefts. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. That's a conscientious employee. Christians work conscientiously. They never take little things from their place of business. They don't take home pencils. You say, come on, a pencil? Well, what if all 25,000, no, it's 287,000 IBM employees all took home a pencil? You know, that would support you for the next 10 years. The Lord doesn't want you taking it. Why don't you go buy a pencil at the dollar store on the way home? You can probably get ten, you can probably get a hundred of them for a buck. Purloining, pilfering. We do it on the time clock. We do it surfing the internet when you're on the, on the time clock. You do it when you're calling home. When you're on the time clock. You do it when you take little things, when you use the company copy machine, unless they've given you permission for isolated copies from time to time. On and on it goes. Christians work conscientiously. And when they do it, they're going to be honored. What we're talking about is Christians being successful in a coming time when you may need a job. And we need every job in this church. Because why do we want every job in this church? We want to keep every job in this church. We want to have an honest reputation toward them that are without. We want to have lack of nothing. And we want to have to give to those that may lose their jobs through acts of God or have other trouble through acts of God. That is why all these things are important. And there's success here. There's happiness here. If you do things for your boss and get a different mentality instead of the boss is the enemy. The boss is not the enemy. 
The boss, if he hadn't taken the risk to have that company, you wouldn't have a job. He is not the enemy. He is your friend. You wait on him and you take care of him. Potiphar bought Joseph when he was manacled naked on a slave trade block in Egypt. And Joseph took care of him. Joseph didn't lie in bed at night and plot how he could murder Potiphar. Daniel was hauled off from his home, and his home was ravaged, and his nation desolated, and he had two important parts of his body cut off to make him a eunuch, and he served the king of Babylon and the king of Persia all his life. You've never had it that bad. And was he promoted? Did he, did he, wait, did he keep the fig tree? Did he get to eat the fruit thereof? He sat at the top of the Babylonian Empire. I hope this has been helpful. The Bible is full of wisdom for us. Christians work sufficiently. That means they do whatever it takes. Christians work passionately. They do it with a lot of zeal from the heart, in singleness of heart, as to the Lord. They work conventionally. They figure out what is the best image that I can possibly present to win the favor of my master and to present a good image for my company. I'm going to be conventional. I'm not going to try to be independent and have and be unconventional. Oh, that's that's so foolish. Christians work sacrificially, like the Apostle Paul did. That means you're very careful about calling in sick. You, you better be on death's door. Why would you call in sick? Do you know how many, employ, uh, how many people there's going to be out there that won't call in sick? When you call in sick, you're saying, please hire somebody better than me, because there's going to be lots of them. You're willing to work overtime, and you don't throw a temper tantrum when they say, could you work a little overtime tonight? Yes, sir. Cheerfully, yes, sir. As unto the Lord, how would you say it? Yes, sir. It doesn't matter if you had something planned that night. Plan it next year. Working conditions. Let the rest of them howl about it being too hot, too cold, too this, too that. Work sacrificially. If they come and ask you, what do you think about the temperature in here? Then you can give them a respectful opinion. And Christians work conscientiously. They try to think like an owner because they're keeping the fig tree. And those that honor their master shall be honored. Joseph, Daniel, the Bible has them. These are five rungs of a ladder that the Lord teaches us in His Word. I hope they're helpful to you. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Let me say it again. We are totally trusting the Lord for the future economy, the economic future of this country and our livelihoods. But we cannot trust the Lord if we are going to tempt Him by not doing the best in our jobs as He has instructed us in the Bible. Then it becomes tempting the Lord, not trusting the Lord. We want to trust the Lord and have done the best we can. The Lord's going to take care of absolutely take care of us. Not a shadow of a doubt. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say? He would say, be of good cheer, because the Lord's with us. Amen. In Acts chapter 27, twice, he tells the men on that ship, I'm, do you know how many days they hadn't seen the sun? Fourteen days. Two weeks. They hadn't seen the sun in a terrible storm on the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul's on deck saying, be of good cheer. They had followed all the instructions that Paul had given them. He said, the little bit of food we have left, break it out. Make some sub-sandwiches. Let's eat right here on deck. Let's eat right here in this be of good cheer, because the Lord's with us. Right. And while you're going to hear some things from me in private and in public, that this country is headed in a very bad course, economically, you're also going to hear be of good cheer. The Lord's going to take care of us. Right. But I want, a church, I want a church that's doing their part in each of their jobs. May the Lord help us do that.